Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Hey, Peter. Lori, hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I have an interesting story to share with you to start the new year off. A 21-year-old home intruder called Alex Binyam Abraha invaded a home in Georgia and was attacked and killed by the homeowner's dogs. Investigators say the evidence indicates the man was inside the house where the dogs were located, but died outside the house. They say the resident of the home returned home last Friday morning and discovered a dead man on his front porch. No charges are expected against the homeowner. Authorities had seized the dogs as part of the investigation. At the time of this reporting, it was not determined what happens next for the dogs. Reports say that Abraha, the intruder, was a known criminal who had active arrest warrants in Fulton County. Peter, your reaction. <laughs> Pretend you're this Abraha guy, Abraha, okay? Yes. And you unlawfully break into someone's house. You have to face any potential consequences, right? Yeah. You might be killed by the homeowner who yes. wants to defend himself, his loved ones and his property, or the homeowner might have an electric wiring security system and you might get electrocuted to death. <laughs> Something, yeah. Or there might be a big ditch that sucks you into earth as you walk through the front door. Or the homeowner might have two dogs who could maul you to death. Yeah. You take the chance if you're gonna break into my home, right? I, you know, I, the mind of a intruder, I, I could only imagine. I haven't thought about that. But the things that I wonder about are, of course, you know, the size of the dogs and whether they were aggressive or whether they were just, you know, protective. What are the dogs like? And did they have any particular, you know, training or propensities? That find that interesting. Should that and, matter and legally? I, I'd like to know, you know, is it a 15-pound dog or a 90-pound dog? I, I don't know. Legally? No, it shouldn't matter legally. Well, if the dogs were, you know, the laws are so against the guardians and the owners of dogs, right? right? That even if your dog has bitten once, you've got someone coming into your home, that's like a strike against the dogs in certain uh, jurisdictions. Of course. So it, I guess the history of the dogs matters a little bit. I, it sounds like uh, no one's going to get too excited about that. I think the history of the dogs are irrelevant in this case. Someone well, invades your home, you you take the chance, and your dogs might bite you and yeah. kill you, right? It ought to be. That's how it should be. It should be. <laughs> well, abraha, adios. And oh, there's more. And <laughs> should the dogs be confiscated? Yeah, no. And taken away from the owner? Yeah. yeah. So confiscated and punished for protecting their property yeah. from a criminal intruder, right? Who might have had the intention of killing anyone or any persons, including the dogs in the house. If you're the homeowner and at this moment, do you hire like a animal lawyer to protect your rights? Are you in jeopardy of, of them being confiscated? I wonder. That's a really good question. Yeah. Well, let me give you an update on the dogs. Okay. These after, chihuahuas. <laughs> after this happened, Coweta County Sheriff Department was flooded with calls and emails from people who were outraged that the dogs were locked up in the first place. That's good. But they were also concerned about the welfare of the dogs, being that their future seemed uncertain, right? Yeah. And I'll just tell you that it happens to be standard procedure in the county for animal control to quarantine any dog who bites a human until they can determine that the dog does not have rabies. Okay. The point being, if the dog is rabies, the person bitten can be treated for it. Yes. Well, 
obviously that's a moot point here since the criminal intruder who was bitten and mauled by the dogs yeah. is dead. Yeah. So anyway, the dogs were... Did they do a COVID test? Maybe he died of COVID. Oh, that's very funny. <laughs> so anyway, the dogs were cleared of having rabies. And at the end of the quarantine, the owner reclaimed Oh, that's his good. Dog. So we have a sensible county. Right. That's good. So... I think I'm going to have Ken Phillips on the show. Remember Ken? Yeah. Our yeah. dog bite lawyer? Yeah. I want to ask him about this case, especially the general question is if there's an intruder in my home and yeah. my dogs want to protect me or my property or yeah. you, yeah. and they bite the intruder, yeah. am I liable? Right. And will my dogs be taken away from me? Yeah. So Good questions, right? So much. I'll answer them. It depends. <laughs> <laughs> really good story, Lori. Okay, next story I find very curious. Some animal health company claims they produced this COVID vaccine just for the animals. So back in September, the St. Louis Zoo started COVID vaccinating the animals there, even though no animals have been diagnosed with COVID and none of the animals ever had symptoms to indicate they had COVID, but they vaccinated them anyway. Great apes, chimps, big cats, and other carnivores all received this vaccination. This vaccine has been authorized for use on animals on a case-by-case experimental basis. Of course, experimental, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I couldn't find anything more specific about this special COVID animal vaccination. Like, how does it differ from the human COVID vaccination? How and on whom and if the vaccine was studied, its efficacy or potential adverse effects on animals, and so on. Luis Padilla, a veterinarian and vice president of animal collections at the St. Louis Zoo said, we are very fortunate to partner with Zoetis and have access to this vaccine as an added layer of protection to keep our animals healthy. Throughout the pandemic, no animal has tested positive for COVID-19 at the St. Louis Zoo. We have relied on biosecurity and PPE best practices for animal safety. And as we welcome this animal vaccine, we will continue to emphasize that prioritizing the health of our staff remains the best tool to keep our animals healthy. Yeah. Anyway, fast forward to now. All of the big cats had received two doses of this so-called animal-specific version of coronavirus vaccine, okay? Immediately after, given one or two of the doses of the vaccine, eight of the big cats at the St. Louis Zoo tested positive and became sick from coronavirus. Mm. Mm. So again, COVID never a problem among the cats or among any animals at the zoo. The cats are given an experimental vaccination and now eight of the cats get sick. Yeah. That's interesting timing, isn't Fascinating. it? Fascinating. Yeah. The zoo officials say that the cats were likely exposed before they got their second dose. Huh. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sathya. Dr. Fauci says. <laughs> Dr. Sathya Shinadurai, the zoo's director of animal health, said. As in humans, we would expect that full protection against this virus would not be developed until a few weeks after the second injection. Oh. <laughs> okay, I know. So the animals became sick right after being given the vaccination because they were not fully protected. 
Ah. <laughs> Zoo officials said a few of the infected cats had a decreased appetite and were less active for a short period of time. Some also developed respiratory symptoms, including a nasal discharge and a cough, but were received medical care to speed up the recovery and to fight against secondary infections. Dr. Shinna Dury, you know, I'm just going to call her Dr. C. Dr. C said, at the zoo, we're incredibly fortunate that they've been able to work with the animal health team to get so many of our animals vaccinated. That helped us immensely. The vaccine, even partially immunization, likely helped our cats be able to mount a stronger immune response and show fewer signs of illness for a shorter period of time than they would have if not previously vaccinated. Yeah. If the cats hadn't been vaccinated, this is what he's saying. If the cats hadn't been vaccinated, they would have been much sicker or could have died. Oh. It's the same exact C- <laughs> CDC logic. It's like, no. oh my goodness. So just in the nick of time, Peter, oh, the animals got the experimental vaccination just before they got sick. Otherwise, without the vaccine, the animals could have died. Zoo officials say an investigation conducted could not reveal the source, the, the, <laughs> I know. the source of the infection. How stupid do they really think we are? Well, yeah. Veterinarian C said, it's likely the cats caught the virus from an asymptomatic human carrier. It's not unheard of for animals at the zoo to catch viruses from humans they're in close contact with. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) It's terrible. The animals have never been sick from COVID in the past, okay? Give them the first of two vaccine shots, they suddenly get sick from COVID. But thank God, Peter, thank God we gave the animals the first dose of the vaccine. Otherwise, it could have been a lot worse. They could have died from COVID. But an investigation was needed to find out how the animals could have possibly gotten coronavirus. If you're going to thank God, sorry, (laughs) if you're going to thank somebody, we should be thankful that the animals are in the zoo safe so they're not predated, right? They're (laughs) safe from all the hazards of living on this world. And, you know, it's just insane. The logic is insane. (laughs) It's it's just human logic. It's great. Human logic. (laughs) Anyway, full recovery is expected for the infected animals, which include two African lions, two snow leopards, two jaguars, and an Amur tiger and a puma. Oh, and zoo officials say that, listen to this, and zoo officials say that guests can now feel safe when visiting the zoo because the cats are now vaccinated. Well, that makes me feel so much better. (laughs) So good. (laughs) Was this from The Onion, or is this like an actual news story? This is an actual news story. (laughs) so good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Don't go away. More fun stuff with animals today. If you're like most people, you have lots of plans. A financial plan. An exercise plan. A career plan. You also need a plan for the care of your pets when you no longer can provide it. Every day, animals are sent to shelters, terrified and confused because their owners have become incapacitated or died. Unfortunately, many of them get euthanized. Some people don't give the future a thought. Others assume family members will care for their pets. A better way is to name caregivers and provide detailed instructions about your pet's feeding, social, play, and health care needs. 
But even designated caregivers can't guarantee your pet will join a stable and loving home. Good intentions sometimes take a backseat to life's realities, like a new spouse who doesn't like animals, a sudden desire to travel the world, or the adoptive caregiver's own illness. A legally enforceable pet trust offers the only assurance that your assets will be used as you wish to provide for the comfort and care of your cherished animal companions. Almost every state recognizes pet trusts. Find out how to create one today and take steps to make sure your pet doesn't risk becoming yet another sad shelter statistic. Plan for your pet's lifelong well-being. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. That's AIAnimals.org. That's AIAnimals.org. Welcome back to Animals Today. If you're a cat or dog guardian, hopefully your animal has identification tags on their body and is microchipped. Many people think ID tags are enough if your companion animal gets lost or escapes from your home, but it's really not. I mean, what if the collar falls off of him or her, or someone purposely or accidentally removes their collar and tags? Then what? Having both identification tags and microchipping your pet is the best thing you can do to ensure in the unlikely event you are separated from your animal that he or she will be successfully reunited with you and your family. Now, in a minute, I'm going to tell you a little story to emphasize this point that microchipping your animal is needed in addition to identification tags. But first, what is a microchip? Microchips are small. They're about the size of a grain of rice. A hermetically sealed glass capsule keeps moisture out and contains a chip, antenna, and a capacitor. Now the microchip is inserted into the loose skin of your dog's shoulder with a large needle. Now this may sound painful, it really isn't. The dogs don't even flinch when it's inserted, so it doesn't even require sedation. A very interesting little fact here in 1985, Dr. Hannes Stoddard invented the microchip-based pet recovery system and formed American Veterinary Identification Devices, AVID, A-V-I-D. AVID's pioneering work in the field of radio frequency identification has been globally recognized by the award of 37 patents. AVID saves pets' lives every day by reuniting thousands of lost animals with their families. Now, I want to tell you a true story. A few years back in Indio, California, a stray or, or lost dog was picked up and delivered to the Animal Care Center of Indio Animal Shelter. So that's the, the animal shelter in Indio, California. Although the shelter's usual protocol, like most shelters in the country, was to perform a scan for a microchip upon intake to help determine who, quote, owns this dog. Their scanning device had been broken for a while and dogs simply were not getting scanned. Now, we learned about this serious and unfortunate breach of standard protocol in a rather roundabout fashion. A few times a year, my friend Catherine would, on her own, arrange for anywhere from five to ten dogs to be transported from this disgraceful shelter in Indio, which had a very high kill rate, to a Northern California shelter, which was highly successful at getting their dogs into loving homes. Now, after making all the transfer arrangements, 
Catherine would pack up her own vehicle and escort the dogs to the safety of the northern shelter. Now, the dog in question upon entering the northern shelter was scanned and found to have a microchip, which provided enough information to locate the dog's owner, who proved to be a resident of the town of Indio. Even though the dog had no ID tags, being microchipped made it possible to find the owner. Now, this man truly loved his dog and was terribly upset when he lost him. He immediately jumped into his car, drove 500 miles to reclaim his dog and reunite him with the rest of his family. So except for the unnecessary thousand miles of driving, the the stress the dog experienced and the expense incurred by the owner, this fiasco ended happily. Nevertheless, think how easily it could have been completely avoided if the Indio shelter only had a functioning scanner and used it. This dog was lucky to get out of the Indio shelter and to get scanned, even if 500 miles away. But we'll never really know how many lost and stray dogs picked up by the city of Indio's animal control during the time the shelter was not properly scanning were unnecessarily killed instead of being reunited with their families. So very important, number one, make sure your dog and cat is microchipped. Number two, keep your microchip registry information current. The shelter where you adopted the dog or cat or a veterinarian can assist you in locating the registry for the chip. And number three, don't forget all companion animals should also be wearing current identification tags. And you are listening to Animals Today, your home for series talk about animals. Join us each week for animal news from around the world and visit us at animalstodayradio.com. I want to remind my listeners how important it is to plan for the care of your animals in case you die before them. And I want to tell you a little story related to this. Several years ago, when I was single and living in a condominium in Palm Springs, I had an elderly neighbor who lived across the way who had a dog, Chloe. Chloe was an eight-year-old white terrier mix, and my neighbor just loved this dog. Now, sadly, after an illness, this woman passed away, and she never made arrangements for someone to care for Chloe after she died. Now, her children traveled from the other side of the country to bury their mother, but they had no interest in taking or adopting Chloe, so Chloe ended up in a shelter where, as you know, tragically, many unwanted dogs are euthanized. This was clearly the last thing my neighbor would have wanted to happen to Chloe. Now, fortunately, because of my good working relationship with the shelter personnel, they agreed not to euthanize Chloe and to hold her until I could find a loving forever home. And fortunately, this did happen. Chloe lived out her senior years, not only with a wonderful couple, but with their shepherd mix, who she adored. And you helped place Chloe, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. And your friend who passed away, she didn't have a will, but also didn't tell her children what she would want to happen to Chloe. So there was really chaos, wasn't there? There was chaos. Okay. So there's the big message. You have to plan, but what really should you do? And you spoke with Francis Carlyle, a legal expert about this a a few months ago, didn't you? Yes, Francis is a New York attorney specializing in trust and estate planning. And she shared her experiences with us in the steps all dog guardians should take when preparing their will. 
And the first is that you need to prepare something and you need to have a lawyer who's experienced in this. She explained that many lawyers, they did not learn this in law school and they're just not up to what they uh, could do or should do. So make sure you uh, speak with someone who's done this before, which is not to say that you necessarily need a will if you are going to communicate your wishes to trustworthy friends or family and even get it in, in writing. But just uh, make sure you take some steps so, so people know what you want. But Peter, you need an agreement from your friends or family. A lot of times friends or family don't really want that responsibility after they're gone. So just don't lay it on them. A further step you could take is to create a pet trust, right? Right. So you can't leave property or money directly to your companion animals. They're not allowed to receive that, but you can create a legal structure, a trust uh, that you can fund with money and then designate trustees to care for your animals when you're gone with your specific instructions. And it's important to review your arrangements each year to confirm that the caregivers and trustees you've chosen are still willing and able to fulfill these duties. And we do that yearly with our people too, don't we? Right. Which reminds me of uh, Leona Helmsley. Yes, Leona Helmsley and her dog, Trouble. Trouble. So Trouble was her Maltese dog and she left $12 million in the trust fund for Trouble, right, Peter? But later, the judge lowered the inheritance to $2 million. And listen, after receiving numerous death and kidnapping threats, Trouble retired to Florida. And she died at the age of 12 in 2011. But she had full-time security and received round-the-clock, luxurious care from the general manager of the Helmsley Sandcastle Hotel in Sarasota. So that's probably the richest inheritance by any animal. I do believe so. More with animals today, right after the break. Welcome back. Lori. Yes. Parakeets. Parakeets. A lot of parakeets. So this, everyone's talking about this one from last week. A number of people pointed this out to me right before the new year. Let's see. The son of parakeet hoarder, I guess you would have to say, called the Detroit Animal Welfare Group. They go by, that's D-A-W-G dog in uh, Romeo, Michigan. And the owner brought nearly 500 parakeets, just dropped them off as a I can't handle these parakeets anymore. So here are the parakeets. So a rescue, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Dog, D-A-W-G, they're the, they're the rescue group. Okay. And they were received assistance. I mean, everyone was called to help. JoJo's Flying Friends helped, and uh, another group in the area was helping. So everyone thought things were gonna, they were gonna start, you know, getting these birds rehabilitated and getting ready for adoption. And then a couple days later, the resident brings in additional 339 parakeets, surrendering, surrendering them and bringing the total number to 836. Oh, that other group is called Birds and Beaks and the East Michigan Bird Rescue. They're helping after that next uh, surrender. And uh, the son says, uh, maybe dad has some issues. Uh, that's a lot of parakeets, and you know this is a it's sad. typical hoarding. It's very you know, sad. There was, yes, the, the uh, owner was going to uh, made a couple of them, and then it happens very fast, and before you know it, uh, there you go. So were they neglected? They were in a very unhealthy uh, situation. 
but remarkably, a lot of them are, are doing very well. So, well, I have a story from last week as well. All right. On Christmas night in Tulsa, Oklahoma, some person dumped a duffel bag filled with puppies <laughs> at yeah. a convenience store called the Quick Trip. Yeah, I read this one. Yeah, the, the police were called out in a post from the police department states. Last night, someone left five puppies in a zipped duffel bag on the counter at the QT. Four of the officers ended up adopting four of the puppies, and the fifth puppy went home with one of the QT employees. Many people posted comments thanking the officers for their kindness, and one person commented, what a wonderful police department we have, thanks to the WT employee also. This is what the Christmas season is about, salvation to all creatures. Another comment implied that the surveillance video mm -hmm. showed a couple abandoning the mama dog. Oh, gee. So before the drop-off of the duffel bag. Yeah. Yeah. The person wrote, quote, it looked like they left the mama behind. I was looking on here to see if they picked her up, too. In the video, you see the couple dropping stuff off, and the mama was wagging her tail, running around with the lady and man, and then the truck drives away and leaves mama left there. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen videos like that. Most people suck. Yes. Huh. No word whether the puppy's mother was ever found. We can only hope. Is that considered a form of animal cruelty? A form. It's I mean, well, of course it's animal cruelty to abandon puppies yeah. and then drop off the mother in the middle of nowhere just, and abandon her just, as well. Uh, but, Peter, legally, is this a chargeable I offense? I don't think so. I don't think you so. don't think so? No. Get a lot of uh, leeway to... Horrible people. Yeah, yeah, I hate most people. Yeah. And here's the closing remarks from the police department, which is a great message. If you're looking for a pet, please adopt. Don't shop. There's lots of rescues and shelters that are over capacity for abandoned pets. Yeah, that's a good message. Okay, Lori, this little story caught my eye. There is a 10-year-old, and he's got an organization called For the Love of Frogs. It's a, like an environmental protection organization. He has loved amphibians and frogs since he was three years old. And and so he's got this organization. I guess his parents are hopefully help, helping him. Uh, anyway, they've raised almost $30,000 to uh, stop plastic pollution, preserve wetlands, save rainforests, and that kind of stuff. And he's raised enough money to buy 30 acres of land that would be protected in Ecuador, which is pretty cool, right? So now a 10-year-old Justin, he actually uh, met Jane Goodall, and I guess further inspired by Dr. Jane Goodall. And you know, you can uh, donate in the GoFundMe page and their website. I went to the website, and it's interesting. It's like all pictures of him doing his thing. I can't tell if they're a nonprofit, actually a registered nonprofit, and uh, it's uh, it's a little little weird, I have to say. I, I mean, kid looks. It looks like an honest celebrity, but I'm not sure about the whether the organization is uh, fully vetted, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Anyway, the notion that you could, without, without too much of an investment, buy some land and protect it, if that is really possible, I think is uh, pretty neat. He likes these frogs, and when he was three, according to one of the articles, he had a particular interest in one of these uh, dart frogs. You know, those are the ones that are brightly colored and they are very poisonous. Do you know about these yep. Uh, yep. poison dart frogs? I read a little bit about them because 
I thought they were dangerous. I just did, didn't know. And they indeed are quite uh, dangerous. You don't want to uh, touch them because they, uh, their toxin will mess up with your sodium channels and cause pain and heart failure and heart and death, you know, so you want to stay stay away from them. They're called batrachotoxins, batrachotoxin is the kind of toxin that they have. So you want to stay away from them, okay? And their bright color, I learned a new word, Lori, is an example of a survival mechanism called aposematism. Aposematism is like a signal. Uh, two other animals don't mess with me, and for them it's their color. So the color says, stay away. You don't want this toxin. And interestingly, they don't synthesize the toxin themselves. This was, to me, the most interesting thing. These frogs, they eat beetles and whatever, something that they're eating has the toxin and then they acquire the toxin and uh, utilize that for their own good. When you raise these frogs in captivity where they don't have that kind of food, they are not toxic. How do you like that? Them apples. Aposematism. Yeah, good word, right? Like it. Okay, so we'll see what happens to, to our little hero there, Justin. Okay, this is from the Western Journal. In Chhattisgarh province in India, village locals heard a baby crying and tracked it down to a pile of straw in which there was a newborn baby girl nestled in with some puppies and the puppy's mother. Mm. The infant was naked and still had the umbilical cord attached to her, but she was alive and was alive thanks to mother dog, according to the locals. They think mama dog kept the human infant warm. Yeah. The newborn was taken to the hospital and determined to be in good health. The infant was given the name Akanksha, which means desire or ambition. Yeah. Akanksha. You probably know many Asian countries, male children are preferable to female children. I don't know why, since, since females are far superior to the male, but all kidding aside, deeply rooted traditions and a cultural preference for male children have led to harmful practices which ensure the birth of a male child and practices including selective abortions and postnatal killing or neglect of baby girls. According to a UN report, China and India together account for about 90 to 95% of the estimated 1.5 million missing female births annually worldwide. Mm. Okay, back to the United States. Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, he uh, announced his uh, budget for the uh, next fiscal year. And it's interesting, it includes $960 million for Everglades restoration and the protection of the water resources in the state, which is pretty cool. In addition to all his other interests is obviously wants to protect the Everglades, which are a complete mess. That includes uh, $660 million for comprehensive Everglades restoration plan and a reservoir project and a Lake Okeechobee restoration project. And uh, $50 million is another example to restore Florida's world-renowned springs. And $3 million to remove invasive Burmese pythons. We've talked about them many times. That's really needs to be done snake by snake. Yeah. And that, they are really eating up all those little mammals. So that's what's happening in Florida. Governor DeSantis. Uh, Good for proposal. him. Yeah. Yeah. And Lori, here's sort of a, a weird one. This occurred in the Singapore 
botanic gardens, and there was a guy, guy minding his own business, you know? And he uh, reports that he was uh, attacked by a gang of otters. Otters? The cute little otters, the gang of them. Anyway, this uh, gentleman who uh, was visiting, he was in his 60s, and uh, he spotted about 20 otters crossing a path in front of him. And it's the first time he'd ever seen otters. It was a little weird for him to see them. But then a jogger ran by through this pack and the otters went crazy and started attacking the innocent Mr. Spencer. And uh, he ended up with a 26 otter bites received in a period of 10 seconds. His friend was able to uh, shoo away the otters and he uh, received medical care and tetanus shots and oral antibiotics and sutures and got uh, fixed up. So a weird, weird otter attack. Otters are a kind of group of animals called mustelids. That's my other vocabulary word of the day, M-U-S-T-E-L-I-D, along with right ferrets, badgers, weasels are in that group also. Fortunately, he's going to be okay. So if you ever see a gang of otters, beware. Do they tend to be aggressive? No, that's the thing there. They tend to be docile. They went crazy on him. Maybe they had some little pups nearby. Maybe maybe there's more to the story. Maybe the man was not as innocent as the report. That's what I think. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. Because we've never heard of an otter attack before. That's why it's it's a... That's yeah. <laughs> it has to be the human's fault. It has to be the human's fault. When you can't figure something out, it's maybe always it's the, the human's Cheetos fault. Cheetos in his pockets. I don't know. Okay, don't go away. After the break, more stories from around the world and how pets can improve your mental health. You're listening to Animals Today. Hi, I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today. Most people know that chocolate is dangerous for dogs and cats to eat, but did you know that coffee and tea are dangerous for pets too? There are many foods you should not let your pets eat, like onion and garlic, yeast dough, and even avocado. Grapes and raisins are especially toxic to dogs, too. Even certain plants and flowers can be toxic or deadly to pets. Cats should not be allowed to eat lilies, daffodils, tulips, or sago palm. And make sure your dogs do not eat azalea, lilies, or sago either. Another danger area, especially with dogs, is eating medicine meant for people. So make sure pills are out of your pet's reach and in safe containers. And of course, leftover bones can crack and cause choking, so don't give bones to dogs. Remember these pet safety tips to keep your pets healthy and happy all year round. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIAnimals.org. Today's Animals Today fun facts are about octopuses. Did you know the oldest octopus fossil was from an animal that lived 296 million years ago? And you can see that fossil at the Field Museum in Chicago. Octopuses have three hearts, one of which supplies blood to the organs, and the other two work to supply the gills. And their blood is a blue color, which transports oxygen better at cold temperatures and in low oxygen waters. And there are your Animals Today fun facts for today. Peter, this is from World Economic Forum. Scientists surveyed 1,200 pet owners to see if their animals had boosted their well-being during the pandemic. 
85% of dog owners said their dog had had an extremely or moderately positive effect, and 75% of cat owners said the same. A tiny minority said their pets made life worse. Oh, that's stupid people. In another related survey, owners described their pet as a godsend or a lifeline. Scientists say pets might provide us with purpose and routine as well as an excuse to leave the house to see people. Oh, that's funny. Having pets gives us an excuse to be with our pets and not leave the house. That's funny. Yeah. Scientists say that physical touch seems to be an important factor. Yep. Touching, yep. And hugging, and cuddling. Yep with our animals is so important. Studies have shown keeping pets can improve your mental health, relieving depression and anxiety, especially in times of stress. Having a pet can also help you relate to other humans, boosting respect, trust and empathy. During the pandemic, adoptions did increase, by the way. But for a small minority, getting a pet was stressful to them, provoking fears about money and access to veterinary care and separation anxiety when lockdown was over. We were worried about vet care during the pandemic. Yeah, we when sure things were. were. Crazy. I yeah. know. Did we already talk about Orkin's 2021 radius cities? <laughs> oh boy. Okay, I think, real quick. I think, okay, okay, okay. It's worth it's worth revisiting. Yes, it uh, is. Chicago. I'm going to think is number one. Yep, you got it. <laughs> New York Most City. Rat infested <laughs> cities. Yep, New York is right. Los Angeles. They haven't changed from last year, by the way. You got oh, it. Chicago, Los know. Angeles, New York, yep. Washington, D.C., and oh, San Francisco. Oh, yeah. We haven't changed yeah. from last There's year. There's more room for rats in San Francisco since all the humans are leaving. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chicago takes the top spot for the seventh consecutive time. Yeah. Orkin says the rats themselves who are also becoming more unpredictable in their behavior, partially as a result of COVID prompted shutdowns. Yeah. A press release issued by Orkin states, the pandemic driven closure of restaurants forced rodents to find new food sources. Without food waste to consume, these pests were seen scavenging. Including that famous video. Are you gonna talk about that? There's this video, I'll just mention this right now, it's so funny from New York City and the big rat has found a like full slice of pizza. Oh yeah. And he's yeah. grabbing it and he's dragging, dragging it down it along. the stairs. It's like it's like twice as big as him and he's just pulling this I like down like into the subway down the stairs or something like that. It's great. You think he was gonna share it with his rat friends <laughs> and family? I don't think he's sharing, but it's just like the funniest thing. It was he was funny. determined to keep that I know. pizza. I know the pizza was like two pounds yeah, and the rat what was they like say about a few ounces. pizza. Yeah. <laughs> After a year of depleted resources, residential properties offer the ideal habitat for rodents. And once they've settled in, they're capable of reproducing rapidly and in large quantities. This was stated by Ben Hattel, an Orkin entomologist who was quoted in the press release. Yeah. Ah, a survey conducted by one poll of 2,000 adults with the cat or dog says the following. 97% of respondents say they always let their pet lick or kiss them. That's not surprising. Yep. Two and three let their animals jump on their couch. Nearly six and 10 admit their cat or dog actually has their own spot on the sofa. Nearly half polled let their pets sit at or under the dinner table so they can share their meals with them. Did you share your food at the dinner table with your pet when you were a kid? Nope, not allowed to do that. I did that. <laughs> My mother got mad at me. It didn't stop me from doing no, it. No. The thing is, I stopped eating meat when I was 13 years old, so giving meat scraps to my dog Sparky <laughs> wasn't 
not an easy thing to hide. Oh. I had no trouble handing off the macaroni <laughs> or the peas under the table, but I had to somehow get the meat in my hand yeah. before we sat down for yeah. dinner, right? Yeah. 42% say their pet rules the household. Yes, that's very true. 6% bathe with their pets. Mm. Okay, interesting. 44% mm. of pet owners say their cat or dog climbs into their bed every night, and the average pet owner says their companion animal sleeps in their bed four times a week. Yeah. That's nice to be able to snooze with your pet. It's very bad for your sleep. Some people don't say that. Yeah, Some they, people say the opposite, okay. that it's good for their okay, sleep. I think it's bad. <laughs> bad for you, not bad for me. Scientists say it's bad. <laughs> Scientists don't say it's bad. Scientists say it's bad for some and not okay. so bad for others. I got it. Anyway, there is a study on that, sleeping with your pets and how disruptive it is for your, oh. for your sleep. And you'll be huh? surprised at the results. And I'm going to talk about that oh. maybe next week. Okay. Here's just an interesting, probably happy, interesting science story. I showed you a video, Lori, of that deep sea fish. Yeah, that was so cool. Was that cool? So uh, researchers with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute, you know, on the in California, they videoed one of these amazing barrel eye fish way down. It was uh, about 650 meters down. And this fish has rarely been observed and rarely videoed. It's interesting because the head of this fish is like clear and you can see the eyes right through the skull or whatever is there. They glow a bright green in the illumination that was used to see the fish because it's so far down it's basically dark there. And the fish are able to move the eye straight and then sort of straight up so they can sort of see where they're going or see the prey above them, which are, you know, plankton and little stuff like that. So it's like a glow-in-the-dark, yeah. transparent fish yeah. at the bottom of the sea. Yeah, I don't know if the fish is glowing or the, the green is just from the reflection from the light oh, that, yeah. the, that the ship is using. Yeah. But it's the most bizarre thing to, to look at. It's just the strangest thing. So it's worth just looking at the one-minute video to so look up barrel eye fish Monterey Bay Aquarium. You, it's really worth a little gander there. Yeah. And Lori, your favorite kind of story, a 11 month old 80 pound cougar was okay. spotted. Not, not someone's pet. Not, Someone. not, you got it. Okay. Yeah. This, this happened in uh, Bronx, New York in an apartment a couple months ago. This 80-pound cougar was named Sasha, rescued on Thursday, and was sent to Turpentine Creek, which is an accredited sanctuary in Arkansas that uh, houses abandoned, abused, and neglected big cats. The comments from the owner, Miranda Rodriguez, are typical. You just fill in here. I didn't know, you know. I'm yeah. still a pet. I have mixed feelings. Uh, and then I realized, to you know, stuff like that. Is he charged with anything? Uh, Miranda, Mrs. Miranda. Is she charged with anything? Uh, probably not. I don't know. You think she'd at least have to pay for the cost of... You think it would be animal cruelty to confine a cougar? I know a... people. I, don't, oh. I know. I know. Okay. okay. Anyway, that's what's happening in the Bronx. That's interesting. So there is this thing, the Big Cat Public Safety Act. It's federal legislation. I just don't see how anyone's going to be interested in yeah. working on this with our crazy country these days so yeah. not time for that yet too bad thanks for tuning into animals today i'm dr Lori kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet the animals <laughs>